Welcome to Podcasting Stories, insights and interviews from people just like you, using podcasts to grow their business and share their message. Podcasting Stories is brought to you by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Find out more at yourpodcast.team. Now, here's your host, Dave Spray. Hi, this is David Spray, and welcome to another episode of Podcasting Stories. My guest today is Tim Zacharias from Cougar USA, right here in Houston. Tim's company has a really interesting background, and they have a really interesting niche focused mostly in Houston in the commercial high-performance building space. Tim also has a podcast that he's had for a couple of years, and he has some great insights on how he approaches a podcast. And although there's some overlap with how we approach podcasting, he takes a very different tact with a much stronger focus on video and social media, where we tend to be audio only and more of an email focus. So there's some great contrast and some great stimulating thoughts that came from the conversation on both sides. So if you've ever considered having your own podcast or you already have a podcast, I think there's a lot of great lessons to get from this interview with Tim. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Tim. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Yeah, and my pleasure. It's always fun to have a, a fellow podcaster on the show. So let's let's get started. Tell us, tell me just a little bit about your background. Well, let me just take a step back. So you are the president at Cougar USA here in Houston. Mm-hmm. And why don't you just tell us a bit about your background and uh, then we'll talk more about Cougar. Are you from Houston originally? Yes, I am. So born and raised in Houston, Texas, out on the west side of town, and then had a little jaunt up to College Station to go to Texas A&M. Oh, that's right. My filter that yeah. my filter is not working. I've being a Longhorn myself. <laughs> I usually try to filter out the Aggie guests, but my filter must not have been working. So, oh well, I have to check into that. Anyway, I, I mean, I'm just kidding. It, it can't be all those football wins that are distracting me. Maybe, maybe it's the uh, maybe it's the basketball team. Touche, <laughs> touche. Okay, so you spent some time at Texas A and M. Yep, yep. After A and M, graduated with finance degree, went to work for Cisco Foods in their internal department or internal audit department. Excuse me. And hey, let me just interrupt you there. Yeah, you know it's crazy. I was in internal audit at Cisco from nineteen. 19- 89 really for like for like half a year in okay. 1989 nice small so, world yeah so it, you know so obviously you're familiar with the program right so it, it was I, I took the job it you know the travel was intriguing so you know two weeks out of the month we were auditing and operating company somewhere in the u.s and at first yep. it sounds glamorous but then you're like oh man i'm gonna get to go to you know Chicago or St. Louis or, you know, all these cool places like LA. And then you find out, well, it's actually about, you know, an hour outside of those cities. Exactly. <laughs> it's not nearly as glamorous as you, as you think, but it, it actually turned out to be perfect experience to learn how a distribution company should operate. And so mm-hmm. I didn't realize it at the time, but, you know, about a year later I left and, and joined uh, family business, which is uh, Cougar USA, where I'm at now. And uh, that was started in 2003 by my dad, Mike, and our business partner, Scott McGee. And so I joined in 2007 and kind of hit the ground running from 
a financial and, and project management standpoint. And so we're, we're a kind of a wholesale distribution company uh, and a manufacturer in one. So we're a manufacturer's rep firm for plumbing, mechanical equipment in commercial buildings. And then we also manufacture kind of a loose term there, more of assembly of control panels that are for those, you know, a combination of pumps and valves in those applications in commercial buildings. So the that experience from the internal audit side, well, was kind of boring at the time and maybe seemed a little tedious, but has served me well, you know, over the last almost 15 years now. That's that's great. Yeah, the the my story, I was only so I started at Arthur Anderson and I went from Arthur Anderson to Cisco. Okay. And I just really did not enjoy it. And on July 29th of 1989, I won a volley. I was in a, a member of a winning volleyball tournament put on by an apartment rental magazine. Okay. And first prize was everybody on the team received six months free rent. Nice. And I had a little money in the bank and two cars paid for, I mean, older cars. And my rent paid for six months. And my uh, maternal grandmother had just died, you know, at a ripe old age. But I just uh, remembered thinking, man, life is just too short to be doing this. So yeah. I went, went into my boss like a couple of days later and just said, you know, this just isn't for me. So yeah, I didn't even make it uh, a year. I think I was there like four months or something. I'd only been to one. I'd only been to one operation in Columbus, Ohio. Gotcha. Yeah, it definitely is. I feel like auditing takes a certain personality. I mean, I think I had multiple people tell me during yeah. the audits, like, "Are like you're you? I feel like you're too nice to be an auditor. Like, do you like doing this? It's like, not really. No, I really don't, to be honest. But it was, it, you know, like I said, it was a great opportunity to to work for Fortune 100 and kind of learn behind the scenes and uh, and all of that. But definitely uh, auditing was not for me long-term. Yeah, me neither. And I learned a lot while I was there. The, and the most important thing I learned was when you buy a, a piece of cheesecake in a restaurant, it probably comes from Cisco. Yeah. And I remember I was at the Cisco like kitchen Mm-hmm. There, you know, you probably went through that too, right? Where you kind of see everything happens. Yep. And I remember they sold this cheesecake that could either be sliced into, I think, 16 or 32 pieces. And the, the whole cheesecake back in the 80s cost like $6 or $8 <laughs> for the restaurant. And they're, you know, selling the pieces back then for, you know, four, four or $5. Yep. And I'm just like, oh my God, the margin that yeah. it's just, and there was no time involved. They were, they were pre-sliced with little pieces of paper between each mm. slice. So it was like, all you had to do was just scoop it up, put it on a plate and instant profit. Absolutely. It's kind of funny. It's, it's come full circle for me because uh, we have equipment at the the Cisco headquarters building where I actually, where I used to work, you know, oh, like wow. we have the booster systems and some other things in those buildings. And then we've uh, also done uh, some booster systems and other type pieces of equipment, steam and other process equipment for some of the food kind of processing plants around Houston. One of them does all the cheesecakes. So it's, oh, wow. Yeah. So it's pretty wild to kind of, you know, have those two worlds collide like that. Are they still out on Enclave Parkway? Is they are. Wow. So they, you know, the original low rise building is still there with the crosswalk to the high rise or mid rise. They were actually, it was under construction when I worked there. And then I, I moved into the new place for a few months before taking off. Yeah, I was sold on the idea. I should have just been an investor because I remember their pitch back in 1989 was 
one out of three meals are eaten outside the home. And by mm. 2000, it'll be one out of two meals will be eaten outside the home. And, uh, and I'm like, wow, that's a good business to be in. <laughs> so personal side, are you married? Do you have any kids? Yep. Yep. Uh, married. My wife's name is Ashley. We've been married since March of 2010. I mean, we have two boys. A Our older son, Mikey, is seven. He'll be eight in April. Heavy into sports with him. So depending on what season it is, kind of guides what his favorite is. But, you know, baseball, football, soccer, basketball, pretty much year round with him. And then our youngest, Joey, he just turned three and wants to be seven and do everything big brother does. So <laughs> we're hitting wiffle balls in the backyard and kicking mini soccer balls with him. So it's my wife jokes that she lives in a locker room and oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's not too far off. I'm the oldest of two boys with no uh, sisters. So, you know, my mom felt the same way. Yeah, but she's you know always been into sports and pretty active and everything, so it actually works out pretty well. We for a few weeks we thought our youngest was going to be a girl based on you know the little preliminary ultrasound. Oh yeah, you know, you know but they're like, don't you know? I'm not going to put this in your chart. You know, don't go buy anything pink. Don't pick any. I mean, right. I mean, within like a week, we had a name. We had a pink exploding soccer ball. <laughs> we have all this, and then we get to the twenty week anatomy scan, and they're like, "Do you want to know what it is?" And we're like, "Well, we think it's a, a girl." And she's like, "No, it's a boy." And my wife screamed for like twenty <laughs> seconds, you know. And we kind of realized, yeah, we we wouldn't have really known what to do with a girl. <laughs> like we sure. know boys at this point, so it, it all worked out. Well, that is good. So, tell me about Cougar USA. Sure. So like I said, we're kind of a combination of two different operations in one, but ultimately our focus is on the commercial building space. And specifically we're focusing on trying to build what we, you know, term out there called high performance buildings, basically kind of a combination of sustainable design, reliable, comfortable, and safe operations and lowest life cycle cost. Meaning, you know, we may not we're kind of a premium upfront in, in terms of the quality of the equipment and service that we provide, but we're there over the long haul. And ultimately we're going to save uh, on energy, water consumption, downtime, all of those things. And so really we're supplying, we're working with all the way up front on the design side with the owners and engineers through the installation with the contractors and then long-term with the operation with the facilities managers to you know, work on any sort of piece of equipment that would touch water in a commercial building, you know, like a high rise hospital, hotel, multifamily stadiums, those types of things, you know, all of these okay. buildings require a lot of additional equipment that you may not realize, you know, that's beyond what's in your house to make them function from just being able to get water to the faucets on the upper floors and to be able to have hot water throughout the building, to be able to heat and cool the building, and then to be able to, you know, safely remove water, you know, wastewater once, once it's mm-hmm. used. So all of those things are kind of going on behind the scenes in the building. And that's the type of equipment that we supply. And okay. So how does lead design fit in with what you do? Cause it sounds like your attitude is similar to some of the things I know about lead. Now I'm not a lead expert by any means. Sure. I have a cursory understanding. Sure. So lead is a program that the U S green building council, I believe is the one that's kind of pushing that and does the accreditation for and basically it's a kind of a points based system where depending on you know the the design of the building the type of equipment all these other factors you get a certain number of points and you get certified as a you know a lead 
gold, silver, platinum level building. So definitely all of our products that we sell and support would help towards a lead certification, but we're, you know, a a piece of the puzzle, right? I mean, there's, okay. a, ton of, there's a ton of other things that go into, into that, but you know, the, definitely there's, there's what, everything that we do is in support of that, you know, the newest kind of turn, you know, the, the lead certifications, the high performance buildings has been out there a while. And then, you know, you're probably starting to see either net zero energy or, you know, net zero carbon buildings or footprint. That's kind of the latest evolution of all of this. And so, yeah, more and more the, it's not necessarily that energy uh, or that energy savings that's driving these types of up, upgrades. It's more kind of that corporate ESG and that kind of mindset that's saying, look, you know, we want to be good, you know, corporate citizens and, and we want to be able to have these buildings that, that are a positive impact on the area. And so that's what's starting to drive some of that design. And, you know, we feel like we fit pretty well into that kind of high performance building space where we're it's a win-win-win for the you know people in the building that are going to have a better um, kind of in, you know comfort in the building, use of the building that it's going to last a long time, be sustainable, and be energy and water efficient. So that's kind of kind of where we okay. like to play. So we we service the Houston area, uh, the greater Houston area for a lot of the manufacturers that we represent, and then on our manufacturing side, on the Cougar System side, that is a separate company that operates where we're building the control panels that pair with this equipment. So standalone okay. applications. And then we, we have distribution nationally in most of the major markets. We, you know, always looking to add a few more, but the, we have pretty good coverage in, in a lot of the major markets where they're the, we're playing the manufacturer's role to them and they're the local rep in their market. Okay. So did you guys use formerly before you started manufacturing your own control systems, were you buying them from someone else and you just decided that you could do a better job or how did that come to be? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's kind of funny because we've gone down that path a few times and my dad has been involved in level controls, water level controls, specifically in the city of Houston. There's a code requirement where you have to have this atmospheric storage tank of water in the building before you add pressure boosting pumps back in the sixties, when there was just this huge explosion of growth in Houston. And there was this fear of all these buildings literally sucking down the, the water main. And so they said, uh, well, you need to put your own little water supply in the building before you start pumping off of it. And so what that did is it created this whole nother layer of, you know, valves and level controls and tanks and things like that, that had to be part of the scope of the building. And so we, my dad became really good at that level control design and, and system where we're monitoring the level in the tank and we're opening and closing valves to maintain the level. And so for a long time, he was having those built through another shop here locally. And then, like you said, we kind of got to a point where we said, look, we, we think we can do this on our own. And I was, I think it was about in 2007-ish, 2008, we started Cougar Controls formally. And then it kind of evolved because we, once we did that, we said, well, we could probably do this and we could do that. And, you know, we kind of got to a mm -hmm. point where we were saying yes to too many things. And it was in the end of 2016, where we kind of took a step back and said, you know what, we really need to kind of get back to our, our lane, like what we're best at here. And, and so we kind of reduced our scope of what we do and put it under the Cougar Systems brand. So we have a little bit of you know, leeway and not just doing the control panels. We have a couple of fabricated products, but definitely got into, you know, got in a little over our heads on the fabrication side. And, but now we've kind of got it figured out where we're. No, I, so I actually understand that a little bit, I think, because my wife and I have a second home that's on a well. 
Mm-hmm. We have a well pump and we added in a pressure tank. Yep. Uh, actually, we have two pressure tanks because there was one pressure tank when we bought the house, but you would still have these issues with pressure. Mm-hmm. And so we added the second tank to give us regular pressure. Sometimes you'd open the faucet and you'd get like air coming out and whatnot. Gotcha. So is that kind of the same concept, but just at an industrial scale? It is. So what what you're referring to is a it's a hydrodynamic tank. So it's typically in a tank that has either a diaphragm or a full bladder inside of it. Yeah. Yep. Air pressure has air pressure in in the tank. And so those are used downstream of the pumps and they do, they help keep basically what they allow the the system to do is maintain the pressure in the system without the pump having to run. And so that was one of the early ways to reduce some energy on the pumping systems was to just be able to shut off the pump. Mm -hmm. Most, most efficient pump in the world is the one that's not running. (laughs) Sure. So, so, you know, properly charged and, and installed bladder tank, definitely will give you good. I mean, we use those with every pressure boosting system that we do. The tank that I'm talking about, I would, in your case, it'd be like if the well pump pumped out of the ground and then just dumped into like a, an open air tank, like a, okay. a separate okay. holding tank, like a water well, basically. And then you had another pump that came out of that and then started boosting towards your house. I see. So that was the level that Houston wanted. They wanted, I see, because they actually wanted that water tank on site with the water to maintain the the pressure. And so that makes sense. So it's like that way, if you have a big, if the whole city turns on their water tap at the same time, by having that excess capacity in the building, that would absorb some of that demand, I guess. Right. So yeah, I mean, you can think about it at your house. Like if you had one well serving three homes and you turn on your shower, you don't Mm -hmm. want it to decrease the pressure in the other places, right? So if all the well's doing is replenishing a little water supply for each house, and then there's a separate pump going to each house, everybody's going to have even water pressure no matter what everybody else is doing. Wow. That makes sense. And then my second experience was our Houston house. We moved into It was a 20-year-old house we moved in a year and a half ago, and our big freeze like crushed Mm. our whole house water-filtered system. The owners Uh, built a really cool – that there was a tank in the attic feeding like five different water-filter dispensers Mm -hmm. throughout the house. And I did a really good job of shutting everything off when we had the big freeze, but I didn't think to turn that off. And it wasn't a big deal, but it was just – I actually, I think I turned the water supply off, but anyway, I don't remember what happened. It wasn't like catastrophic to the house, but it, it caused some leaks. And then we like got the leaks fixed and the pressure was never the same. And yep. the guy's like, your water pressure is too low. So I had to get a new system that actually has a pump built yep. into the water filter system. And I, so I already kind of knew a little something about the whole benefit of having that pressure and it works like a, like a charm and it has way more CFM mm-hmm. than or CPM. What GPM. is it? G- yeah, GPM. Gallons per gallons per yeah. Yep. yep. And it's way more than it, the old system. So yeah. So that's pretty cool to hear the, the industrial version of some of the stuff I've done. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun, you know, cause you, and it's hilarious. I mean, I drive around town and if you, talk with anyone in our office or just people in our industry that they're all guilty of the same thing. You kind of drive around and you see a building and start pointing it out to the wife and kids like, Ooh, we have a booster pump package in that one, or we've got water heaters <laughs> in that one. And she, you know, at first she's kind of like, okay, that's cool. But you know, after 15 <laughs> years, she just kind of rolls her eyes. She's like, oh, whatever. 
So, but it, now maybe your boys it will be will find that kind of cool as they the, get old enough to take him to some of the buildings. Yes, absolutely. There was uh, there was one morning where I was going to do a site visit on a mid rise building that I can actually see from my driveway. And so before I left, I you know took my son. There's like, hey buddy, look, I'm going to go fix their pumps. And he's like, oh, that's so cool, daddy. And, you know, I come home from work that day, and he's like, hey, so did you fix their pumps? You know, so he, uh, uh, he's still into it. So, but it is cool to to drive around town and to see kind of a tangible benefit to, to what we're doing and know that, you know, we're not just shipping boxes out the back door. These pieces of equipment actually have a, you know, play an important role in, in the operation of these buildings. And, you know, the kind of example we always go to or the, the bar for us in terms of quality or the level of service we're going to provide is always a hospital. And, you know, you mm-hmm. look in the Texas medical center here, one of the, probably the largest in the world, it's incredible what it takes uh, to keep those, hospitals up and going. And obviously we're just a small part of that, but it's, you know, there's a lot of pride in, in that, you know, have, being able to, to say that you took, you know, had a part, a part in that. Yeah, that is cool. So let's drill down a little bit. Help me understand, because I, I'm guessing there's other folks in the world that, that do some of what you do other than your geographic focus on Houston, mm-hmm. what other kind of subspecialties do you have and asked another way, what are the characteristics for an ideal customer for you? Okay. Yeah, good question. So we, we feel like we kind of have three customers. So we work with the consulting engineers, the designers that, you know, mechanical and okay. uh, and plumbing designers that, that draw up the buildings. We work with the installing contractors and we work with the building owners or facilities managers. So what we're really looking for is that person that's looking for that type of high performance building that I kind of described before, you know, somebody that's looking for that longer term view of the operation of their building. And, and that's where we're going to have a good fit, right? If it's um, the, you know, kind of, we're going to build it to flip it and we're looking to make a, a good profit on that. And that's what, you know, that's the main driver of uh, what's bu- the, you know, the reason the building's being built, we may, may not be uh, the best fit on some of those. But so it's, you know, really the, like we've done well with hospital groups, property management groups, schools, institutions that are building to hold and use their buildings for a long time. Yep. That makes sense. And then what percentage of your business are new buildings versus retrofits? Yeah, that's a good question. So we definitely play in both the kind of ground up new construction market as well as what we call the aftermarket or existing buildings. And it fluctuates year to year, but you know, it's typically around 45 to 50% comes from new construction. We're we've built up such a large installed base over the last, you know, almost 20 years that the aftermarket has always been an important part of our business and we're trying to grow that with some kind of standard service offerings. And so I, you know, it's usually about 25% related to kind of the the aftermarket projects like large system upgrades, things like that, and mm-hmm. kind of parts replacement service, things like that. Oh, and rentals. okay. Okay. Well, thanks for that for that example. So now let's, if you don't mind, let's shift gears and let's talk about your podcast. Sure. So what's uh, the name of your podcast? So the podcast is called Building Value. And, you know, surprise, it's kind of follows similar paths to what we've been talking about. But basically the goal is to 
kind of shed some light on what happens behind the scenes of building operations and the people and products that go into making these buildings work. So it's been fun to have kind of some industry professionals and customers, things like that on to, to kind of tell their story. I love it. And it's funny because as I think, you know, we have a uh, podcast business where we help companies mm-hmm. launch and run their podcast. And one of the things that we always tell people is your goal should not be to be like a top 100 downloaded podcast, right? You should be very niche focused and your downloads and listens are almost irrelevant. Is that kind of the way you approached it or what was your kind of thinking on what you were hoping to accomplish? It it is actually. And for a while, like I almost, I didn't even really want to call it a podcast because in, in our industry, I'm not saying people that work in our industry don't listen to podcasts, but it just no. I don't feel like a lot of people are tuning into a podcast specifically about our industry, right? Like, sure. I, I know it's growing because it at the our largest annual conference, the AHR Expo, they have a new podcast pavilion. So, I mean, I know it's getting bigger, but um, you know, when I first went to my dad and Scott and was like, Hey, I, I want to start up this podcast. And, you know, here's what I'm thinking. They both kind of looked at me and were like, like, you want to do what? <laughs> a what? So yeah, for us, it was all, it, basically Zach, what you're saying. It was very focused and it, to our industry, sometimes even our, you know, our city and, you know, the, the, end result of a, what you would consider a typical audio podcast, I'll be honest, I don't even know what our listens are. Um, Good for you. That's what we always tell our clients. Yeah. Yep. That's what we tell our clients. Don't worry about that. If I did go check them out, you know, and I always joke that like, you know, when we have new guests on, I was like, don't worry, our tens of listeners are (laughs) not going to be that hard on you. Right. So it's like, I'm sure if I did go actually look at the downloads, I'd be depressed and like, maybe I want to keep going. So I just, just got to keep, you know, powering through it. But really most of we, we have a video component to ours and most of our promotion of the uh, podcast and and interaction with it uh, is through LinkedIn with kind of shorter promotion clips, things like that. Okay. Well, that's an interesting idea. We have considered that, but it's not something we've gotten further into. So I'll have to check that out on your LinkedIn page. Sure. And then, so I've got so many questions. So first Fire off, away. so what were you hoping to accomplish with the podcast and have you accomplished what you set out to? Sure. At- you know, there was a it, kind of a couple of goals. One was, you know, to kind of get a the similar kind of message or kind of ideas out there that we've always kind of talked about, but just in a different format, a little bit mm-hmm. more casual. And then for me personally, it you know, between LinkedIn and the podcast and some of the other things that we do with virtual training or other videos, it, it's been another way for me to kind of establish myself as a subject matter expert in our industry yeah. with a little bit more of an acceleration than kind of the way my dad and, and Scott have done it, you know, the, the quote unquote old school way, you know, out in front of customers in buildings all the time. And, you know, the not saying that I don't do that stuff or that it's not important, but, you know, I was looking to kind of ramp the the timeline up a little bit and these online platforms and, and a podcast was, you know, a, a great avenue for doing that. And I, I, it was interesting because I, we launched it 
basically right at the height of the pandemic. You know, I think it was April of 2020. I'd started mm-hmm. working on it about six months before that. And so just, I don't know, either dumb luck or unlucky, I don't know. But to launch it during the middle of COVID was interesting because it definitely gave us a lot of things to talk about and was able to get a lot of people to come on the podcast. But I didn't get a lot of feedback initially just because we weren't in and around a lot of industry events or right. people. And so, right. so now in our second season and we're starting to get back out into these, you know, industry events and out in front of customers more and more, you know, I'm starting to get more feedback like, Hey, you know, I saw so-and-so on the podcast or I saw your thing on LinkedIn, like, you know, really cool. I like that. So, you know, starting to actually get some feedback that, that people are in actually consuming the content and like it. So I think we're heading in the right direction. Well, that is, that is great. Has it been, can you think of any examples where the podcast has helped like differentiate your company? Like where you're talking to a sure. potential customer for the first time and you let drop that you have a podcast on this subject? I, I think it does because for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, you know, one of the one of the things that it it does is it kind of gives us a platform to get some people onto the show or to get FaceTime with people that normally I wouldn't it'd be really tough. Uh, yep, you know, to, yep. to just say, hey, like, you know, let me just holler at Al Whaley, the director of engineering for NRG Park, you know, the lar- one of the largest mm-hmm. entertainment facilities in the world. Hey, you mind if we just like kind of hang out and talk for an hour? He's probably going right. to be like, you know, I don't really have time for that. But, but you know, being able to have this where the, the end product is something that is also something that they can be proud of and, and can share has allowed me to be able to get in front of some of those people. And, and it's not just our customers or kind of partners that we work with as contractors, or other people like that. I mean, our vendors, same way have been able to, and just inter- industry professionals been able to uh, talk and network with some really interesting people and get their story out. So it's definitely, I think, kind of differentiated us in that way, like that people are kind of mm-hmm. seeing what we're doing because a lot of the conversation on the podcast is about the industry and yep. the, the, you know, one of the consistent themes. And I know it's not just our industry, but the, this kind of knowledge gap and, and skills gap of the, the people that are kind of aging out of the yep, uh, workforce yep. and not necessarily having that big, you know, funnel of, of people coming in. And so, you know, talking about skilled trades, talking about all these different opportunities in our industry. So, you know, being able to get that message out has been, been, you know, I think kind of sets us apart. And then just the whole kind of marketing approach, I, I feel like is not something that a lot of our you know, people in general in our industry are doing, and I'm, you know, there's not many locally that are uh, doing it either. So it's definitely kind of setting us apart in in a couple of different ways. No, that's great, and that's exactly what I would have expected. How do you announce new episodes? I imagine you post them on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we kind of had, uh, you know, it took us a little while to figure out the rhythm, but we've committed to basically we do two episodes a month. Mm-hmm. And we run from kind of about January to October. So about 40 episodes or excuse me, about 20 episodes a, a season. And so what we do is we release them on Wednesdays. And so the first Wednesday is kind of a promo blitz across LinkedIn from, you know, my my personal LinkedIn profile, our company profile, and then whoever the guest is, you know, them sharing it as well. And then those are typically... I typically share like a, a short clip from the episode that highlights something that they talk about. And so that'd be the the first week. And then the second week is another promotion of the same episode, another clip or a quote or 
something like that. And then the next week we roll into uh, the next episode. So we promote each episode for two weeks at a time. Okay. And do you do any email promotion? We've included, so it's, you know, the social clips, the shorter clips have really created a lot of additional content for us to use. We've embedded it in our website. We've used it in emails, like if we're announcing a new training schedule and we had a guest that was talking about the importance of training, things like that, we can uh, kind of add that content in. But we haven't really done any, we haven't necessarily done like an email blast specifically promoting an episode, which is an interesting idea now that I'm thinking about it. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny because that it's, you know, the old saying that, you know, he that has a hammer views the whole world as a nail. Sure. So our approach actually in the approach with all of our clients is that our focus is mostly on email. Okay. And because the thinking is like, everybody knows that you want to regularly reach out to your database Mm-hmm. And the challenge is not all of your database is on LinkedIn, or even if they have sure. a profile like me, I'm rarely on LinkedIn. So what and so what we find and, and what I found before I had a podcast is I rarely emailed my database because I didn't want to be annoying. So sure. I only wanted to send out really good content if I was going to email, but who has time to create that? So for us, the primary value of the podcast is it gives us an excuse to send an email out. Sure. And our email is always very short and it just, you know, and we've never had anybody ever complain about it because the email is so short and it's in theory, it's newsworthy. It's kind of like a press release. So there's a newsworthy component. And then the other thing that we do that you may find helpful is we actually create the email for our guests to send out that we send right. to them so that they can send it out to their database. Because as you found, a lot of times your guests are, are flattered, especially if it, they're not, if it's not common in your industry, it might be the only podcast they've ever been on. So they're flattered. They want to share the story. So that's the other thing we do. We draft the email and you'll actually see this whole process because when your episode launches on my podcast, we'll send you that guest email right? and uh, we include the show artwork and then a, an audio gram kind of snippet in, mm-hmm. in that email. So for what that's worth, that's you know something to, to think about. No, I think it's a great idea. We, and you know, as you're talking, I'm also, the wheels are spinning in my head and, you know, thinking how we could do that. But I, I think it's a, a great way to, to get the content out there and, you know, kind of the same idea, trying to get the same content out in multiple ways for people to be able to consume it as they want. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure. What about, have you had uh, customers on your podcast? I have at a, a couple different levels. Yes. Do you, I find those on my podcast, those are my favorite people to have on. And one of the reasons is that I love at the end of the episode to sincerely thank them for being a customer, you know, to compliment mm-hmm. how great yep. their team is, you know, thank them for being a customer, tell them, you know, we value the relationship. And I find that resonates in a way that if you say the same thing over lunch, it just doesn't have the same impact as that quote public proclamation, even if only sure. 10 people listen to it. Has that kind of been your experience too? Yeah. And it's been really interesting because at unsolicited, we've you know b- received some really good feedback and praise from the customers 
about Cougar. And so we really go for a partnership type relationship with our customers. And so to, to see that they feel the same way and see us as, as that trusted partner has, has been really cool, but it is definitely an opportunity to, to get them on, to, to talk them up and to show off what they've been doing. And then to, like you said, to be able to uh, genuinely thank them is a, uh, is pretty unique opportunity. Yeah. Have you, what we've started doing is when a new customer wants to check some references, we will say, Hey, you know, our, our clients are really busy, but here's three podcast episodes with mm. clients of ours. Maybe like just take a scan through those and like, see what you think. And if you, after that, if you still really want to talk to them, we'd be happy to connect you. And what we've found is that if they actually will listen to the episode, we find it, it seems to be even more powerful than an actual reference call. Sure. Cause if you're probably you asking questions they won't. Yeah. Yeah. And not only that, but they get a, uh, it's a, there's an authenticity to it. Because if you're calling to do a reference check, right? If you're doing a reference check for one of your vendors and you like your you like the vendor, you tend to maybe subconsciously highlight how happy you are. Sure. Right. And and so like there's it's just kind of like when you check a like a job candidate when you do a reference check for them, like people only give you know the references who are going to say good things. And it's kind of the same way with the podcast, right? You're not going to have somebody on the podcast that doesn't like you. But I've found that it seems like that adds some some authenticity. And I've also found that even if they don't listen to the episode, it like still lets them check the box because they can go look up that person on LinkedIn and be like, okay, yeah. And he gave us three people. They're probably, you know, I, I don't have time to listen to the podcast, but I'm sure they said nice things. And so it lets them check the box without having to ask your client to take time to talk to them. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we try to grab those moments as much as we can. And I mean, we've got them posted on our website and all over our LinkedIn feed. And that's a great idea that we can. So we, you know, I I mentioned earlier, just a, a plug on the training and the value of the training that, that we've been offering. And, and so to, we can go out and say that as many times as we can, but it's a lot more powerful when it's coming from, from one of our customers. Mm-hmm. No, that's a great idea. You're causing my wheels to spin on some ways <laughs> that we might want to start using our podcast. So how has it compared, how has it compared to your expectations? Is it taking more time, taking less time, been more fun, less fun in general? How would you say it matched up to what you were expecting? That's a good question. And, you know, in some ways it's hard to answer because I didn't really know what to expect going into it, to be honest. I mean, I've always enjoyed the technology side and messing around with audio video gear. And so this at one level gave me just an opportunity to check out what the latest and greatest was and, and play around with recording stuff. And so that, that was fun. And that is still fun, you know, trying to tweak everything to, to get it just right. But the, the art process wouldn't necessarily work without kind of the structure that we have. And I, you know, I know for y'all and offering that as a service, like if we didn't have what we have on the back end, like we would definitely want to use something like what you're doing, because there is a fair amount that goes into, you know, the recording piece and then the kind of digesting and editing piece and then review and kind of posting and all of that. And so luckily I mean, we have a person in house, Rebecca, our marketing specialist. She's awesome. She basically kind of quarterbacks that whole 
process once it's done. So for me, I get to go to do the the fun part, the recording. And, you know, that has been a lot of fun. And I think probably what's been a surprise to me is how much the guests have enjoyed it. Like it's actually uh, been something that, that they really enjoyed doing. I didn't uh, necessarily expect that good of a response from the guests, but they've liked doing it. And so I get to go do that fun part. And then, you know, Rebecca kind of takes it from there and, and takes the back end. So for me personally, it's not as big of a time commitment as it might sound to, to keep up with two episodes a month and mm-hmm. you know, the video and all of that. But it's because of the kind of the, the way we have the back end structured. Mm-hmm. No, that, that makes complete sense. And I get it. Do you intend to continue podcasting? Absolutely. So we're two two seasons in, and I just got the first view of the the bloopers reel from season two. There's still uh, plenty in there. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> so still have some work to do being being a little more smooth in front of the camera. But it's definitely not as long as the bloopers reel from season one, though. So I could say okay. Well, that's progress. There's a little bit of improvement, you know. And it took some very candid feedback from my wife about how much of a robot I was in front of the camera at first. So, you know, but I think just between, you know, the amount of content that we're able to generate, the quality of it. And like I said, just that giving us that platform to continue to get in front of the, those kind of key leaders in our industry, you know, I, without doing the podcast, it would be very difficult to do that. Mm-hmm. No, that, that makes sense. So how do you decide if continuing the podcast is worth the time and money? Is it purely financial or are there intangibles in the equation? How do you decide if, if, if it makes sense to keep doing it? I mean, it sounds like you've made that assessment, but sure. what goes into that? Is it something you can be, you can do like a hard ROI on, or is it like a lot of marketing that it's just more nebulous? Sure. That's a good question. And, you know, we're trying to get better at our you know, defining that marketing qualified lead and the sales qualified lead and putting some, you know, trying to tie the dollars back to some of the marketing efforts. But it's, it especially in our industry with long sales cycles and multiple mm-hmm. relationships involved in a sale, it's hard to kind of pin it back to a certain thing. So, you know, I think we're kind of looking at the bigger picture with the podcast, you know, is it helping us with brand recognition? You know, are we getting that positive response from people in the market that they like the content, that it's, you know, relevant and it's helping them. And as long as we continue to get that, then I, I think we'll continue to do it. You know, as long as it stays fun for me, which <laughs> so far it has been. So I, you know, I'll definitely kind of continue to do it. And financially, it I'm not going to say it's free to do it, but for the amount of content that we get out of it, for what we are putting into it financially, it, it's almost a no-brainer to keep doing it. Okay. No, that's a great perspective. So as we're rounding the home stretch here, mm-hmm. uh, what advice would you give to someone who's considering starting a podcast? Ooh, that's a good one. You know, I think people are most comfortable and, and the thing that people are most nervous about coming on the podcast is that they're not going to know what to talk about or they're not going to feel comfortable. And I, what I've found is that once you start getting into what people are passionate about and and you're talking about what they're passionate about or what they do all the time, what they're an expert in, the more comfortable they are. And I said, so I think if you can kind of put your yourself in a position where you're, where your podcast is relevant to your own expertise, what you're going to be comfortable talking mm-hmm. about, then it just makes it that much easier to, to do the whole process. And I think the more that you're comfortable, the more that you're yourself and let your personality come out, the, the more authentic the, the whole 
end product will be and the more enjoyable it'll be for you and your, your guests. That's great. That's great advice. And I would agree because I find that with our guests that, you know, that they're nervous and I'm like, trust me, you don't need any preparation for this. Right. Everything I ask you, you're going to know cold. There's not going to be any uh, trick questions or curveball questions. But that being said, as we get to the end here, <laughs> I do have two curveball questions for you. Okay. I'm ready. That we'll wrap up with. So what do you wish you knew when you were 25? Who you know now? Or ask another way, if you could go back in time and give advice to your 25-year-old self, what advice might you give yourself? It's a really good question. And it's funny, just this last week, you know, my, my son has been really, in, for like the last six months or so, my son's my older one, seven-year-old, he's been really interested in money and how much things cost and how to earn money. And, and so we, we're going through this process with him of a, one of these chore and allowance apps. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we got it set up. He has his responsibilities as he has to do every week to earn his allowance. And then there's extra jobs where he can earn extra money. And, you know, he's like, well, what do you, what do you mean I have to do all these things to, to get the allowance? Or it's only 50 cents if I take out the trash. And, you know, then we started kind of talking through it. And I was like, well, buddy, if, you know, if you do these and you do a certain number of jobs a week and, you know, it's, you're going to, you could easily earn 500 bucks in the next 12 months. And he was blown away. And so mm. I think it's just this kind of realization that the, you know, the small, that, that kind of commitment to discipline to doing those little things over and over kind of compound over time. And, and you see big results from it that it's, you know, you can't, it's hard to kind of, to see results immediately on some of these things. But when I look back at, you know, however many years with, with Cougar and just myself, you know, personally, how much I've changed and grown, you know, it, it's a combination of all of these little things and disciplines versus kind of one aha moment. So I guess mm-hmm. it'd just be to kind of trust the process and, you know, look a little longer term. And, and perhaps focus on doing certain activities on a regular basis sure. and just yep. trust and trust that the results will follow and not get too caught up on the results on the front end. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. So now we're down to, I've got two questions left. Okay. So the first, is there anything that we didn't talk about or that you wish I had, or we had, or are there any questions that I didn't ask you that you think I should have? So, I mean, if you're interested in like our like actual process or any of the equipment or anything, you know, I know you guys have, um, you probably have your own process too. So, I mean, happy to talk about any of that if that's relevant, but otherwise I think we covered it pretty well. Okay. Well, then it's time for the final curveball question. Okay. This is a tough one and you're not going to allow, be allowed to have a lot of time to think about it. You've just kind of got to give me your gut reaction. Okay. okay. You ready? Sure. Tex-Mex or barbecue? Tex-Mex. Yeah. Because... I can, you can work, you know, you can have brisket tacos. You can have 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 both. You can have the best of both. I know. Well, that's, and that's usually what my answer is as well. (laughs) This is a question I borrowed from one of our clients who asks all of his guests. And I just really uh, 
like the question. Oh, it's a great so, one. We so that's actually kind of how I warm up the guest and like check audio levels is to go through a bunch of random this or that type questions. And so I'll, I'll ask you one that's one of my favorites. Would you rather have the ability to fly or breathe underwater? Fly. Same. I hate to fly. <laughs> well, and I've breathed underwater before. I've scuba dived before. Mm. And so I've experienced that, but I hadn't experienced anything like flying though. So yeah, that would be mine as well. Nice. Well, well, hey, well, Tim, I really appreciate you making time out to be on the podcast. And I really appreciate your podcast experience and your perspective. And you've uh, really given me some ideas to think about. So I really appreciate you taking time to be on the show. Absolutely, Dave. I appreciate you having me. And, and like I said, you got, got my wheels uh, spinning as well. So I'm going to go run and talk with Rebecca about some ideas. <laughs> that sounds great. Well, hey, have a great day, Tim. All right. Thanks. You too. And there we have it, another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at www.podcastingstories.com. This podcast is brought to you by your podcast team. If you have ever considered having your own podcast, head over to www.yourpodcast.team to learn more about how they can help you. That's it for this episode. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next time.